Good morning. It's a joy to be here this morning, to be with you guys. Uh, third Sunday of Advent. Advent means uh, to come. And during the Advent season, we celebrate Christ's coming in our past, in our present, and in our future. And we celebrate what Christ brought into this world uh, when he came. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the hope that Christ brought, not wishful thinking, but a strong, confident expectation based on the promises of the Word of God. Last week, we celebrated peace, the peace that Christ brought, not uh, the end of war between nations, but peace between God and His creation, and the peace, the tranquility that He brings to our souls. Now this week we turn to the coming of joy. When Christ came, He brought joy. In Luke 2, 9-11, through 11, we read the angel's words to the shepherds. And, as, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were filled with fear. Rightly so. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel brought good news. News that Israel had been hoping for. News that would bring peace between God and humanity. News that Christ, uh, the Christ, that's the Greek for the Hebrew Messiah or anointed one. News that the anointed one of God had come to bring salvation. A Savior has come. This good news was of great joy. The coming of Jesus is the coming of joy. So so what is joy? Now today we're going to look at some of what the Bible says about joy. Some different verses, passages. But let's, let's just start with the definition of the word. Here in Luke and throughout the New Testament, the Greek word for joy is kara. And it means just what you would expect it to mean. It means this, uh, just pretty much the same as our English word for joy. Joy is the spontaneous emotion of cheerfulness, gladness, and delight. Think for a minute about what brings you joy. What causes you to experience the emotion of cheerfulness or gladness, delight? For me, one of the things that brings me joy is when my uh, two-year-old grandson calls me uh, Grandpa or Papa. He's, he's sort of caught, but we're trying to get him to call me Grandpa, but he likes Papa, so we're trying to figure out how that's going to work. When he says those words, I feel glad. I feel happy. I feel joyful. And I'm sure each one of us could share different things that, that bring us, just well up in us, this, this emotion of joy. Now, before we explore more of what the Bible says about joy, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God wants you to experience joy? He wants you to be cheerful, delighted, glad. He gives us His Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy, among other things. Two weeks ago, when we were looking at hope, We read Romans 15.13 where Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Paul prays that God will fill the Roman believers with joy and peace. 
This is also Jesus' desire for his disciples. He says in John 15:1, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The things that Jesus taught were to fill his followers with joy. God wants his people to be full of joy. That to, that, that to me is a wonderful, it's a phenomenal truth to know that our God, our sovereign creator God, desires for me to experience joy. So, so often the world, uh, and sometimes even the church, portrays Christianity or Christians as, as stoic or, or joyless. People who, who serve a, a joy-killing God. God doesn't want you to have any joy. I'm here to say that is not true. Jesus brought joy and God wants you to experience joy. So, so how can we do that? How are we to experience joy in our lives? Uh, back to our passage, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. We've received the good news. Therefore, we should have great joy. I remember when I got the news that my daughter-in-law, Ashley, was pregnant. I rejoiced in the fact that I would have a, a granddaughter. You see a theme for my joy here? Yeah. And God wants us to have joy in, in these things. His gifts to us in this life. But there's a greater joy that extends beyond this life. It certainly impacts this life, and we'll look at that. But it extends beyond this life. Angels brought the greatest news of all time, the news that the Savior... Christ the Lord had arrived. And the reality of that news should cause us to be the most cheerful, uh, delighted, joyful people in the world. But our joy is different from the world's joy. And by different, I don't mean less, I mean more. I don't mean less intense, I mean more. I don't mean less fulfilling, I mean more. I don't mean some watered-down version of the joy that the world has. I mean joy so intense that the world can't even understand it. That's the joy that Jesus brings. That's the joy we can experience because of Christ coming into our world. So what I want us to see this morning are four principles, truths, about biblical joy. I want us to understand intellectually and hopefully begin to appropriate emotionally the joy that only comes through Christ. And the first thing I want to emphasize, we've said it, I'm going to emphasize it, is, is that joy is an emotion. We said this in the definition of joy. It, it means to be cheerful, delighted, glad. Joy is not an act of willpower. It's a spontaneous emotional response of the heart. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter speaks of the joy that comes from faith in an unseen Savior. Though you do not know, now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The inexpressible, glory-filled joy that Peter speaks of is not a decision we make. It's an inexpressible feeling that overcomes those who believe. You can't just say, self, uh, be joyful. Have you ever tried that? You can't just decide to experience joy. Okay, I'm really bummed, but now I'm going to be joyful. Okay, you know? You can't decide to get out of, yeah, excuse me, you can 
You can make decisions. You can decide to get out of bed. You can decide to go to the store. But you cannot, in the same way, decide to feel uh, joyful, or, or any emotion for that matter. Now granted, when you know what brings you joy, you can do things to increase your joy. If music brings you joy, you can spend more time listening to music. But even then, you're not deciding to experience joy. You're deciding to seek out circumstances that bring you joy. Now, when the angel announced that that he was bringing good news of great joy, the joy that the people would experience would be a spontaneous emotional reaction to the good news. They'd been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. And the good news that a Savior, Christ the Lord, had been born would bring them joy. Again, joy is an emotion, a feeling that comes in response to something. Uh, a response, in this case, to good news. Uh, maybe, maybe if you're a student, to good grades, to good music, to a good meal, to being a grandparent. Now, if we were talking about common joy, the joy that everyone in the world can experience, uh, we could stop right here. I could say, and this could be the application for this message, do whatever you can to put yourself into circumstances that will bring you joy. Eat good food. Listen to good music. Study hard so you can get good grades. Spend time with your grandkids. But this is where the joy, uh, the, joy the world experiences and the joy that comes from Christ uh, part ways. This is where they differ. The Bible teaches something extraordinary about joy. Uh, Tom put it uh, uh, mysterious. It is mysterious. And that is, joy is not circumstantial. Biblical joy is not circumstantial. And by circumstantial, I uh, I mean your current earthly present circumstances. For the believer, our joy is not based on our current earthly circumstances, which is a good thing when you consider our present earthly circumstances. So know this, the biblical joy, biblical joy goes beyond our earthly circumstances. The world's joy is based on what's happening in the moment, how things are going today, now. If things are going well, I have joy. If I test uh, negative for COVID, I have joy. If my business doesn't go bankrupt because of the shutdowns, I have joy. But if things are going poorly, if I or my loved ones experience sickness, financial difficulty, then I don't have joy. This type of joy is fleeting at best. This is why people often make the distinction between joy and happiness. We tend to view happiness as the superficial uh, feeling based on our circumstances. But uh, let me just give a side note on happiness for a second. We need to be careful here. Scripture doesn't make, uh, really make a distinction between joy and happiness. We make that distinction. Yes, there, there is a superficial worldly happiness or worldly joy, but the Bible also, also speaks of real happiness that comes from the Lord. The word blessed found throughout the English Old and New Testament is the translation of the Hebrew and the Greek words for happy. Psalm 144.15, Blessed, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. It's, it's good to be happy. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has a whole list of those who will be blessed or happy. 
Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for thou shall, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Happy are those who are persecuted. There's that thing uh, that we'll talk more about, that tension. For righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So happiness doesn't have to be uh, superficial or based on your circumstances. It can and often does mean the same thing that joy does. So back to joy. In contrast to the joy or happiness of this world, there's a, deep, there's a depth uh, to the joy that the Bible speaks of. You know the song, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Sorry. I remember uh, as a youth leader here many years ago, we took the kids to Dawson McAllister Conference. It was in, uh, Julie was with us, maybe Kirby, I can't remember. Uh, but but uh, the, the, Al Denson was the music leader, and he sang this song, Joy, and he had one verse I really liked it. I got that far out feeling that freaks out pharaohs down in my heart. Down in my, okay, that's enough. That's all the singing I'm going to do, so you don't have to turn off the video. <laughs> Now, how do we know that the joy of Scripture is different from the joy of the world? Not joy to the world, but joy of the world. Because the Bible describes joy that is not only not based on having good external circumstances, but a joy that flourishes in the midst of difficult external circumstances. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5.3. We rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, really? Knowing that, I mean, have some perspective, he says. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. We can look to what suffering produces and we can rejoice. The external circumstance is suffering, but the internal reaction is joy. Because suffering produces endurance. Biblical joy looks beyond your current circumstances to what God is doing in your life through those circumstances. Let me say that again. Biblical joy looks beyond your current external circumstances to what God is doing in your life through those circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel came to the church in Thessalonica, it came with affliction, with persecution, and with suffering. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. We won't go there today. The Thessalonians experienced much affliction, but they received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit's role in our joy in a minute. But for now, we need to understand that this is not normal. Because affliction does not normally produce joy. They don't go together. If a person is suffering, if they're in affliction, the world would have no expectation or even possibility that they would have joy. And if they're experiencing joy, then we would naturally assume that they're not suffering. Oh, they're rejoicing. 
They must, everything must be perfect, going well in their life. But biblical joy is not the same as the world's joy. It's not based on your circumstances, your immediate circumstances. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 2, Paul writes, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity of their, uh, on their part. The church in Corinth, like the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, experienced severe affliction. See Acts chapter 18 for that. But that didn't prevent them from having abundant joy that led to great generosity. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote about himself and his companions. This is the verse I referred to last week when describing my, my emotions about Chad, Chad's leaving as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Paul's joy existed not merely alongside suffering, but in the midst of sorrow. The world's view of sorrow and joy are opposites. But the joy that the Bible speaks of is very different from the uh, joy that the world knows. It's a very strange emotion, uh, mysterious, if you will. It not only endures, but seems to even grow in difficult times. This is what I'm trying to get at when I say that the biblical joy is deep, not based on external circumstances. Have you experienced that kind of deep joy? Joy that comes in the midst of sorrow or pain, affliction, suffering. Joy when you see the the perspective, when you have God's perspective. Maybe, maybe, I'm not talking about uh, jumping up and down for joy, but joy in knowing that come what may, God is sovereign. That no matter what happens, Jesus Christ has entered your life and is transforming you into His image. That God is at work for your good, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Maybe, maybe God is much wiser than we are. Maybe he knows some things we don't. Maybe he knows that true joy is refined and in fact grows out of our sorrow. Maybe you've even experienced this in your life. During times of great difficulty, sickness, pain, grief, sorrow. It's during those times, I believe, more than any other, that if you turn to the Lord... That's, that's, that, that, that's just the opposite of what the world does, right? I mean, I was watching a TV show, and it had the, this the other day. It's uh, actually, uh, I'm going back to the old shows these days, St. Elsewhere, if you remember that. And uh, in the show, the family normally went to church, but that year they had lost their son, and they, it, it, was, it was God's fault. And so they, they turned away from God. In their sorrow, they didn't turn to God. They turned away from God. And that's the natural reaction that, that most have. If you trust in the Lord, if you invite the Lord to work in your life, in your pain and sorrow, He will reveal Himself to you. I believe in new and in powerful ways. Your relationship with Him will grow. And with His coming into your life, there will be joy. Again, maybe not this jumping up and down for joy, but there'll be a deep sense of, of satisfaction, of, of joy, 
of gladness that you're a child of God. How do I know this? Uh, Because I've seen it. There's evidence. I know it from three sources. First, because that's what the Bible teaches. We've just seen it in the Word. Afflicted, affliction and joy linked together as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Second, I, I know this because I've heard about it and I've seen it in the lives of others. I've seen people, people in this congregation, suffering and yet rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of difficulty, experiencing joy that relationship with the Lord brings to them. And third, I know that joy can be experienced in the midst of pain and sorrow and grief because I've experienced it myself. I don't claim that my life, like some others, has been uh, extremely difficult, but there have been times. Times of separation from my children. Times of difficulty in marriage. Times of grief over lost loved ones. And in those times, when I was willing to turn to the Lord and invite Him into my pain, He showed up. He would be there. And He brought comfort and joy. So I can say with confidence that biblical joy is a deep emotion that is not crushed even by affliction, pain, sorrow, grief, that it's not based on but looks beyond your current circumstances to what God is doing in your life through those circumstances. It's a big picture joy. It looks at the whole thing. Again, we talked about this with regards to peace last week in my conversation with Chad before, uh, you know, no matter what you're experiencing, know that God has saved you. You're saved. Now, some might be asking a very logical question. How is this possible? How can I look beyond my circumstances? How is it possible to have the emotion of joy when your circumstances are less than joyful? And I want to answer that question in our third and fourth points this morning. How can you have joy in less than joyful circumstances? First, Or point three, because biblical joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Biblical joy is not natural, but supernatural. It's a spiritual thing. We cannot, on our own, produce the things of the Spirit. We don't produce our own emotions, but uh, but the Spirit works to produce our emotions. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit, a product of the Holy Spirit uh, being and working in our lives. It's a product, it's produced under the special influence of of the Spirit of God. This is not a joy that the world can experience. It's a joy that only comes to those who have the Spirit of God. Remember Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians that Christians receive the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The deep joy that comes in the midst of affliction comes through the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The joy we experience uh, from being part of God's kingdom, 
from being a child of God, from having received the Spirit of God which indwells us, the Bible is clear that, that, that this joy is not a product of a, of a human spirit in response to pleasant circumstances. It's the product or fruit of God's Spirit at work in our lives. At work transforming us into being people that can have joy in the midst of sorrow. One of the practical reasons that this is important for us to know is that it warns us against false joy. There is a natural joy, even in spiritual things, which we may mistake for spiritual joy. Jesus points this out in the parable of the four soils in Matthew chapter 13. Some seeds fell on the path and the birds ate them. Some seeds fell on a, a rocky ground and sprang up. But because they had no root, they withered and died. Some seeds fell among the thorns and were choked out. And finally, some seeds fell on good soil and produced much fruit. And Jesus says, of the seeds on the rocky ground, He says this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. If we could stop there, that would be good. But Jesus goes on, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the, of the word, immediately he falls away. Here's a joy in the word of God that is not spiritual joy. It's, it, it is no evidence that true conversion has taken place. It is not a fruit of the Spirit because it vanishes like the dew when the hot sun of affliction arises in the sky. Why does this joy vanish so easily? Why is it superficial? Evidently, because it's not a joy in or from God, but merely a joy in some of the comforts that God may bring. It was joy based on circumstances. Things are going well. I will take this word, this gospel even. Now I have a Savior. They received the word with joy. But when affliction and persecution and hard times come, the joy disappears because it was not a fruit of the Spirit. It was not a work of God. True joy is not based on your external natural circumstances because it is a supernatural gift of the Spirit of God. Okay? So, so that, the, the, if you're, that would say, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. this, that when you're not experiencing joy, the first place to look would be, am, am I walking with the Spirit? Am I allowing the Spirit to? rule and reign in my life. So far, we've seen that joy is an emotion, joy is not circumstantial, and that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Our fourth and final point will add to our understanding of how we can experience this kind of biblical joy. We've hinted at it, we know, it, uh, we know that this joy comes from the Spirit of God, but, but now let's explore the fact that biblical joy is found in the Lord. True joy comes to those who can take their eyes off their earthly troubles and put them on a sovereign, 
eternal God. The psalmist writes in, in, in uh, chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Here's the key here, uh, that God is your joy. Joy is found in God, in relationship with God. David writes this amazing, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's, it's the most, I don't know, hopeful verse that, I don't know, it's great. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does God want you to have joy? Does he want you to have pleasures? Yes, he does. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Real, deep, abiding, lasting joy. At the right hand are pleasures. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has so much to offer us, both in this life and the life to come. And, and, and I don't know, do we get that? Do we get that? Do we believe that? Does your life reflect that? Are you spending your time, your talents, your treasures, going after the temporal joys offered by this world, or you're seeking the eternal joys offered by God. You have a choice of where you're going to seek your joy, how you're going to seek your joy, where you're going to find your pleasure in this life and the life to come. One of my favorite quotes, one I'm sure you've heard before and will again, is from C.S. Lewis. And it speaks directly to what joy uh, we pursue, where we pursue our joy. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God is not offering you less. He's offering you more. The problem is we don't take Him up on His offer. Our problem is not that we seek after joy. Our problem is not that we seek to have pleasure. We're designed that way. Our problem is we seek them in the wrong places. We settle for earthly, temporal, fleeting uh, kinds of joy. Some sinful, some not. When God offers everlasting joy and pleasures forevermore in His presence, that everlasting joy certainly becomes complete in eternity. But there is joy this side of heaven. We saw this when Jesus talked about joy. John 15, 11 again. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you. Why? Uh, so that you would get an A in Jesusology? so that you would be really smart and stuff. Not even so that you will go and make disciples. I'm asking you to do that too, but I'm telling you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus was invested in the joy of his disciples. The you Jesus is speaking is the disciples, those who put their faith in him and are following him with their feet. That's really what it means to be a Christian. To have, uh, to, to, to have faith in Christ and to show that faith with your feet, the way you walk, the way you live. Jesus taught His disciples that they might experience fullness of joy in relationship with Him. 
But this verse specifically applies to what he just said. Anyone know what he just said prior to verse 11? It's in John 15, 1 through 10. It's about vines and branches. It's about abiding. It's about bearing fruit. The two verses before 11 are 9 and 10. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is how you have joy. To experience fullness of joy this side of heaven You have to be about the things of the Lord. You have to be about bearing fruit, abiding in the love of Christ, abiding in His Word, keeping His commandments. This is what will bring true, lasting, full, eternal joy. The question then, we need to ask ourselves this morning, am I experiencing the joy that Jesus came to bring? I began this message by saying that God wants you to have joy. God is pro-joy. He's for your joy. And God knows that real, lasting, true, biblical joy only comes in relationship with Him. All other joys, even grandchildren, are just shadows of the joy that comes through relationship with the Lord. So the first step to experiencing true joy is to give your life to Jesus Christ. To trust Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. To enter relationship with the living God through the the blood, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which we'll celebrate today in communion. Becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is the first step to experiencing joy that He came to bring. There's no other way. But we also need to understand that the quest for joy does not end at conversion. Conversion or becoming a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ is just the beginning of the quest. In many ways, the Christian life is uh, about turning from the joy, quote-unquote, offered by this world and seeking your joy in the Lord. And we've touched on what that involves. It involves looking beyond your earthly circumstances to what God is doing in your life through those circumstances. It involves allowing the Spirit to work in your life, submitting to the Spirit of God that that He might produce the fruit of the Spirit of joy in your life. And finally, it involves the Lord Jesus Christ, abiding in Christ, abiding in the love of Christ, abiding in His Word, keeping His commandments, Yes, there is great joy to be found in obedience. I think we know that, right? There's great pain and sorrow and regret to be found in disobedience. But when we obey the Lord, it brings joy. Now this morning, uh, we're almost done. And we've just barely uh, scratched the surface of seeking our joy in the Lord. Maybe that's even a new concept to some people's. I don't don't get that. I hope I've given you a a taste 
for what God has to offer. And for those who, who'd like to go deeper, and I hope there are some, in seeking your joy in the Lord. Maybe your, maybe your life, you, you just don't, there's no joy. I mean, you're going through it. You're, you're seeking to do what God wants you to do, but you're not experiencing joy. I, I would uh, have a commercial break here, if that's okay, and, and recommend a book. I, I've mentioned this book in the past before. It had a great impact on my uh, own ability or even thinking a process of experiencing joy in the Lord. And the book is uh, Surprise by John Piper. Hmm, never would have guessed that. So he wrote a book called uh, Desiring God. I think it was in the early 80s, and I read that, and that was transformational for me. And then he wrote another book, and this is the book I'm recommending. And he says, I think in the foreword, that maybe he should have written this book first. And the title of this book is When I Don't Desire God. When I Don't Desire God. In the book, Piper recognizes that seeking our joy in the Lord is not easy. Uh, We all want to experience joy, but we do not naturally seek it in the Lord. We are sinful, and our nature is to seek our joy in other things. And this book gives great practical insight into how to not only seek, but fight for our joy. That's the subtitle of the book. The book is, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. You must declare war on the enemy and fight for joy in the Lord. So I'd recommend this book to everyone. No no matter where you are in your fight for joy, there's, there's something here for you. You can get it online in a PDF from Desiring God website. DesiringGod.com, I think is what it is. It's free. Uh, You can purchase it on Amazon in uh, paperback or Kindle. $15.69 for paperback. $11.99 for the Kindle. Okay, that's the end of the commercial break. I would just encourage you, you know, if, especially if, if, if this area of, of having joy uh, is something you struggle with, this is, I mean, really, uh, the book is about, uh, you know, how to follow God, how to follow the Lord, how to, how to, how to seek after the Lord, and, and within that, and in doing that, uh, that's where you experience joy, and that's what he uh, puts forth in a, in a brilliant way, I believe. So, When the angels came to announce the good news of the coming of Christ, they knew the joy that that he would bring. They stepped out of eternity. They came out from the presence of God. They came from the place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And they said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They came with good news of great joy. They came to announce that the eternal God was entering into time and space, entering into our human world, becoming one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. They came to announce a Savior. One who would bridge that gap between God and humanity. One who would live a perfect life. 
and then offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. One who would make it possible to enter into relationship with God, to be reconciled with God, to be declared righteous by God through Christ. One who would bring great joy to the world. And as Sean comes uh, to lead us in communion, let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts to remember and to rejoice in all that Christ has done for us and all He continues to do and all He will do in our future. Rejoice in the joy Jesus brings into our lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You for joy. Lord, You, you, are, not, you are not just about a robotic sort of obedience. You want Your people to be filled with, with love and peace and hope and joy, Father. And we thank You for that. You're concerned about our the wholeness of who we are. You're concerned about our emotions and you, you, you want us to experience joy and I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, I pray that we could, we could see, Lord, so often we're diverted. We think this or that or this other thing will bring us joy when ultimately only you can bring us joy. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to know that and help us to turn to you that we might experience the joy that you offer in Christ's name. Amen.